Well, good morning. Well, it was Somerset versus Dighton. Somerset being my hometown. And I could not wait for this game to happen. Could not wait to get out on that basketball court and win this game. We go out and the floor coach gets the starting five gathered, sends them out. I get right next to coach because I know that I'm going to be going in soon. But the first quarter went by. I'm still sitting next to coach. Second quarter, a couple minutes, I'm looking out saying they need my shot. Look at that. They're tripping over their own feet. This team needs me. I'm still sitting on the bench. With 19 seconds left in that second quarter, coach says, Perry. I look. Sure, he's not going to have me go out there now with 20 seconds left. Perry, sub. No. What? I'm not going. Well, then you can go to the locker room. I head to the locker room going, oh, boy. This is not going to be good. I put on my street clothes. I don't know what I was going to do. 15 miles to walk back home, but I was going to put my clothes on and start to walk back because sure enough, I don't think I was going to be allowed to go on the bus with the team. One minute later, he comes in. He's, what are you doing? Putting on my coach, uh, clothes, coach. Figured I'm not going back out with the team. Get out there. Second quarter, you're getting out. You're going to sit with the team. All right. We go out the second half. Sure enough, I don't sit next to coach. <laughs> I take my position at the end. Just sitting there two minutes in, he goes, Perry, sub. What? In my mind, why, why would he be putting me in? I would not put me in after what I just did. But he gave me this second chance. And it stuck with me years and years later that he gave me this second chance. And there's some of you in here today that understand the power behind receiving a second chance from somebody, that it opened up doors for you, maybe gave you peace and direction in your life, maybe a second chance in your finances, schoolwork, relationships, marriage. It made a difference for you. And you probably know some people who are wishing that they got a second chance. And they're looking to you to give them that second chance. And so the question that we're going to look at today is, what does it take to be a person that gives that second chance? That's what we're going to do and look at as we close out this series that we've been in, the people of the second chance. For the first week, we looked at receiving God's grace, getting that second chance being able to not be identified and living in our past, but in Christ being able to have a newness and a direction where he is the leader in our life, receiving that second chance. And last week, Donnie was here talking about living in that second chance because so often we can start to go back to our old ways of performing our way into the graces of God. And so Donnie reminded us that grace wasn't a one-time thing, that in Christ, his grace and mercy is new each day, and we learned about living in that grace. And today, we're going to be looking at giving that grace, extending that grace to somebody else. And Jesus talked about grace often. And we're going to look at an example today, an instance that really kind of cuts to the heart. It highlights 
the most important factor to being a person who gives a second chance. This is going to be a story in Luke. I want to get Bibles in your hands if you don't have one. So ushers, if you would come down, they have Bibles. If you don't have one, just signal to them. They will give you a Bible. It is yours to keep if you don't have one, or you can return it on your way out or give it to somebody who does not have God's word. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be in a certain scenario, to be like somebody else, to understand what it would be like if you were there in that place in that time? Well, with smartphones and apps, you can do that, right? There's, there's things that do everything, and they talk to the cloud, and the cloud can do everything too. Well, there's a little site called Face in Hole, and I wondered what it would be like to be, if you put it up, I couldn't beat Chuck Norris, but I'll be next to Chuck Norris as male competitor of the year. And I had some hair, and I'm a little bit taller. And I got to experience through that what it's like to be with Chuck Norris. And I say that because the story we're going to look at today is so vivid. It's so dramatic that you find yourself inserting yourself into the story. Like, what would it be like if I was sitting next to her or him? There's this connection in today's story as, as we get to it that you really feel like you're there and wondering who you'd be like. So I want to start to read the story, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We read, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. And we've got to pause because as soon as you see the word Pharisee, your ears got to go up and go, oh boy, this is not going to be good. Matter of fact, I even hear little, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> because the Pharisees did not have the intention of being Jesus' proponent. See, the Pharisees opposed Jesus. They were most often malicious in their behavior, and they had different intent for their questioning. And so when I read this Pharisee invites him over for dinner, it's not for, oh, just this, I want to have him over for some nice food. I really start to question what's going to go on here. And you kind of got to understand the scene where this meal is taking place. It's not around a table that's round or square and people are seated. At that time, they would have been sitting around a U-shaped, very low table with the host at the center couch. And each one of these, there was a couch below that table, really, really low. The center one would be the host. And they wouldn't sit like you and I would sit for dinner. At least, I hope you don't sit this way. The, the way they would sit was they would recline. Some of your translations say recline. They would recline on their left side with their left elbow on that low couch with their right hand free to eat the common food of the day and they would converse amongst each other but their backs were turned toward the hostess but as you got around the corner people would be looking at one another but their feet would be swung away. And so that's what the meal is like. 
And, and the houses at that time were kind of open air. You've got to understand that too. That people would come in and out while they're having the meal. It was common for somebody just to wander in and sit, listen. This would bother you and I, right? Whoa, hey, call 911. But for them, <laughs> they would just sit there. Some of them, they'd be friends. Some would be strangers. They would talk about the news of the day, the business of the day. That was common. And so we have two famous people here. We have Jesus, who everybody knew when he got in town. And then we have this Pharisee who's famous as well because he's very religious. He follows all the laws, and people know him. Two famous people at this meal. And in walks this woman, kind of like others walking in. And she's standing behind Jesus' feet. She's totally not paying attention to anybody else in the room. And she's overcome for, with emotion. And she just comes to Jesus' feet. She's behind him, but she's at Jesus' feet. And she's just pouring out tears. Something's overcome her. Pouring out tears on Jesus' feet. And she realizes, I'm getting his feet wet. I have nothing to dry him. And she drops her hair, which to you and I, we'd say, so? But for them, in that moment when she dropped her hair, she just brought shame to her name because a woman would not let down her hair in front of a man at that time. But she was driven by something different, locked on to Jesus. She drops her hair and she just starts drying his feet. And she had this jar around her neck, which was probably a tool of her trades. You see, she was famous for a different reason. Oh, everybody knew her, but she was bad. They saw her, oh, very bad. She was a prostitute, a woman of the street. And she came in, and she took this, this jar of ointment, which is a whole nother message. This ointment was so expensive, and she takes it, and she just starts putting the ointment on Jesus' feet. There was something that made her oblivious to everybody else and just drawn to Jesus. Like she knew something about her, about him, and she brought herself in that moment to him. And you wonder, what was it like? What was going on? Here's this prostitute with her were there kids and families in, in at this time? Were, were parents having to cover their kids' eyes and say, honey, um, look this way? What, was, what were they saying? What were, what were they doing? And we, we know a Pharisee was there. And we read in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, get this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And so I started, what was it like? I, I, I get what it's like to, when that woman, and I'm not sure I would be loving him the way she is. What was going on with this Pharisee? And we read, he is angry. He's so mad. Yeah, I threw this party to, 
for Jesus, and she's crashing it. This kind of woman's crashing it. And all of a sudden, he, be, she be, he becomes very judgmental. He starts judging her, almost as if to say, oh, yeah, see, on this table, holy, 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 unholy, bad, very bad over there. He starts valuing people and giving, you know, I'm giving, dating my age now, but if you ever work in a grocery store and you had the price label thing, the price gun, if you worked in a grocery store, it's like he's going around putting value and assessing people. And for her, terrible. She's terrible. And, you know, part of me can relate to Simon a little bit. Simon's his name. We learn that later on. This Pharisee's name is Simon. But I'm kind of like him in a bit. Just to start off, he said to himself, many times, there aren't words that come out of my lips, out of my mouth, but oh, they're said to myself. And so I, I can kind of relate to Simon a little bit here. There's this dual nature. He wants to draw close to Jesus, but yet he wants to push others away. John McLarnon, the site pastor for West, emailed me the other day. He was on the road. He said, I saw a car with two bumper stickers that captured what we're trying to talk about in this message. He said, one bumper sticker said, I hope God isn't too picky. And the other bumper sticker said, I don't break for Yankee fans. <laughs> Which I love. I was like, wow, I love being a Red Sox fan. But, but it catches that dual nature. I hope God isn't too picky, but oh... I don't like that person over there. It's a very scary place when all of a sudden we start to see the wrong in everybody else. And we'll find it. That never stops. But we don't look to ourselves. And maybe you can relate to Simon a little bit here. And you wonder, what would you do if you were throwing this party and this woman is throwing herself on you and you know all that he knows? Would you be... Uh, I'm good, I'm good, you don't need to be doing that, and you're pushing her away. He not only starts to judge her, he judges Jesus. We don't read it, but it's almost as if he's saying, Jesus, I know you're loving all that attention and everything she's doing, but you know what? All of us know what she does, and you wouldn't want her to be doing those kinds of things to you, okay? And he goes as far as to say, I don't think he's a prophet. I don't think, see, because the God I believe in would never speak to, eat with, be with a person like that, let alone a woman. So I doubt, he's not God. He's not a prophet. And so we got these two people. You see this woman who's drawn to Jesus. She knows something about herself, doesn't care about others. Something about Jesus she knows as well. And we see the Pharisee who's like, I know everything, and they know nothing. And I'm wondering, will Jesus please speak up? What, what's he going to say? Say it. And we finally get to it in verse 40. We read, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Oh, my. That's both a comforting thing for me and a scary thing at the same time. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. And I'm thankful that he does know our hearts, but this is also very scary. So he, he, 
answered his thoughts. He said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? To us, this is like test time. He's saying, listen, Bank of America calls. He calls Tom. Tom has a debt. In, in this case, it would probably be about two months worth of wages. Tom, Bank of America calling. I want to let you know your two months worth of uh, debt, it's erased. Consider it paid for. And Bank of America calls Jerry and says, Jerry, Bank of America here, I want to let you know that 20 months of wages for you, that debt, when you go online, you're not going to see it. It's done. It's paid for. Don't worry about it. Jesus is saying, who would love him more? Who would be happier? And Simon answered in verse 43, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And then we read, Jesus said, bingo. Right? And the prize balloons start dropping down from the ceiling. And no, no, Jesus starts to actually ramp up what he's about because he wants to hit home and start to answer that question, what would it be like to be a person that gives a second chance? He's about ready to do that. And you, you can read in, in your Bibles, what he does is he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. He's not looking like you and I would look at each other. He's not doing that. He says to Simon, Simon, Simon's over here. Simon, do you see this woman? And you know he's going, do I see that woman? Oh, oh, I see that woman. She's just blown. Simon, do you see the woman as I see her? I see her. No. Do you see her with my eyes? You see, Scripture talks about in the New Testament, Jesus calling us to look in a different way. Paul talks about this, and this is where God is growing me and continues to grow me. And that is, as I walk and live my life, to stop and get off of my throne and to step down. And as Paul says, not to see as the world sees, but to see. Get down from my throne and look to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to view that person. Not as what I see, which is perhaps the past. And Simon wanted to look at this lady and goes, that's what she's like is back here. But to see as he sees and he's saying, do you see her like I see her? Because when I came in, I saw something completely different, a heart that was completely different between you two. When I came in, you did not provide me what was customary, and that was to wash my feet. Provide some water so that I could wash my feet. Get this dirt and grime off. You didn't do that. But she came. She washed my feet with her tears. And she dried my feet with her hair. You didn't greet me with the customary kiss. Be hospitable that way. You didn't do that. 
she kissed my feet. You didn't put oil to anoint my head with oil as a guest. You didn't do that. She anointed my feet with oil. And I think the clincher verse to all of this is in 47. Where Jesus, I think he said, here's the difference, Simon. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. You see, Simon wants to pay attention to everything else, and Jesus said, no, pay attention to this. It isn't, she's not loving me so that she can get my forgiveness. The verse says that she's loving me because she has been forgiven. You see, she knew that. She understood something, and that is people of a second chance acknowledge their debt. She understood it. You see, Simon, you want to point out all the gaps? And you and I can do this. We come up with our grading scale for our imperfections. It kind of makes us feel better. Well, that's this kind of sin. It's not so bad. This one, oh boy, that's really bad. And that's what Simon was doing. But the differences are just a continuum along the same scale. And Jesus is saying, here's the deal. It's not that one needs more forgiveness than the others. Notice in the other scripture, it said, they couldn't repay it. You're both spiritually bankrupt. There's no way you could pay, but she understands that and you don't. You see, we don't read about her receiving of grace, but it's evident that she was somewhere where Jesus was teaching and she heard him teaching and the good news and she lived a life of running around trying to get meaning and value and purpose through all the wrong places and she was tired of chasing and she got to the point where she said, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing, but I'm done, I'm stopping. That's it. I need you. Person of a second chance acknowledges their dead. She came running to him. But Simon, what you want to do to her, you want to reject her, push her away. And this is where she knew something about herself, but she also understood something about Jesus. And that is Jesus' love invites. She knew that if Jesus didn't push her away in her sinfulness, then when she draws near, he's not going to push her away. That's good news. You and I need to hear that, that God moves toward us. That's what Jesus is all about. And that's the first week we talked about receiving that grace. But this also challenges us that as we receive, it calls us to move toward and move toward others. And if you're like me, then you go, oh, oh, time out. Because if I move towards somebody else, then that means I'm okay with this. And I don't want to be okay with that. That means that you're making the sin right, and it's going to continue, and the evil is going to continue. Um, I think forgiveness, approaching forgiveness and all that, actually puts sinfulness in light. It actually 
deals with. And God's not asking, and I'm not, a, I'm not challenging you to do something ungodly. That's not what it's talking about here. But it challenges us to move toward others. N- nowhere does Jesus say, we don't read Jesus saying, you know what? You've had a hard life. So, you know, don't worry about things. We don't read that. We don't read, and we're talking about Jesus. We don't see him going, you know what? It's tough. The economy is tough. You've got to make money any way you can. So you found your way of making money. Okay, that's fine. We don't see him saying that. We don't see him saying, you know what? That's your life. Live it whatever way you want. Who am I to say? And and I'm not saying you are to be judged of him, but I'm saying look at what Jesus does here because if we're to be followers of Christ, he he doesn't say, well, whatever, it's all right. Don't harm me. Then everything's okay. He doesn't say that. It's very clear. And there's no denying. Some of your translations say she lived a lifetime of sin. We read in this translation many sins. But I think in that moment where where Jesus was talking to Simon, there was a whole other conversation that was going on between him and her. Saying, you know what? I I know your imperfections. I, I know your sin. And you know that they know your sin. But here's the greatest thing of all and the most important thing and where you get it is that you understand your sin as well and they miss that you see my first and greatest need is for forgiveness and Jesus saw that in this woman he wasn't doing a blind eye to sin he's saying if you and I have sin in our life we need forgiveness that's what Christ came for that's the great great news that the first impulse of God's love is to deal with our greatest need. And reflexively, he moves toward us with Christ. It's our greatest need. So what does it take to be a person of a second chance? Well, it starts with receiving that grace because people who have received grace extend grace. People who have received grace extend grace. And maybe you relate to Simon. You see, Simon looked real good on the outside. Knew a lot. His hands and feet observed and did a lot. And he got his value and significance from knowing all of those things. That's what gave him, made him right and everybody else wrong. Maybe you find yourself like him, but that's like wanting a garden and going to the garden and just taking the dirt and smoothing it over and then running to the florist and cutting some long stem roses and sticking them in the dirt. They look beautiful for a couple days. But because they have no root, they just wither and no longer Do they look beautiful? And so Simon, you need to receive grace. You and I, we just need to talk. You need to come with your heart wide open. I'm not going to push you away, but just come 
with your heart wide open. Or maybe for you, you relate to the woman. You, you're a receiver of grace. You're a Christ follower. That doesn't mean you're perfect. But you feel this challenge. You know that there's somebody you need to give a second chance to. But it's tough for some of the reasons maybe we talked about. You know things that you need to say, maybe things you need to do, but you're having a hard time in doing it. And what you need to hear is that people who have received grace extend that grace to others. Say what you need to say Imagine what it would be like if we were people of a second chance who received God's grace and gave that to others. Imagine what our sibling relationships would look like, what our workplaces would look like, what our schools would look like, what our marriages would look like, what our business relationships would look like. And it is never too late. After the service, we'll be down here. There's always pastors down here. We would love to talk with you. There's things that you just need to say to God. We'll pray with you. For others, you may take the beeline and head on out. You know a letter's on its way or a card needs to be written or a visit needs to happen. Maybe some of you need to sign up for that relationship and marriage seminar or attend Life's Healing Choices or take that class starting point. But you know what needs to be done and you know what needs to be said. I pray that today you know that it's never too late and that you be a person of a second chance, who receives God's grace and extends it to others. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are and knowing our greatest, greatest need. And reflexively, it, it is a move toward us through your son, Jesus Christ, giving us what we need through him to receive that forgiveness and to be able to extend forgiveness to others long-term, to truly be able to do that. And so I just pray for folks here today sitting probably in different seats, some who need to trust you for the first time. I pray that their heart is wide open and they just trust even though they don't know all the I's and the T's that need to be crossed and dotted. And I pray for others who know you that, again, they would trust that you got it and that they come with a heart that's obedient. We know that you will lead in the right and perfect place, and we love you. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.